Argyll of Nanagus. Part two. They go to the uh, hill of, of Mithqueen. Mithqueen. Yeah. And they meet the guardian, who is Mithqueen himself. Yes. Yeah. And he meets them, and they don't waste any time. Brian just fights just, them. There's just, no, there's yeah. no shouts. No, he doesn't pre- wait no preamble. Shouts. He just, yeah. They just meet and they fight. Yeah. And uh, again, we've got this wonderful boss fight. Mm. The fight of these two persons was only comparable to the fury of two bears and the laceration of two lions. <laughs> Until at last, Midquian fell in the fight. Yeah. So Brian defeats him. Yeah. And there's no suggestion that his brothers help. Yeah, it's, it's just, just a one-on-one. On one. Yeah. Yeah. But then the three sons, another three sons, exactly, of Midquian come yeah. to fight against the children of Turin, having heard of their deeds and courage. And this, it said, is a fight worth seeing. Yes. It's yeah. actually called that. It, yeah, exactly. This this is almost this is this the the pinnacle moment in terms of the mm. the fighting and the questing and what have you. And Myth Queen's sons, they're called Cora, Con, and Oith. Yeah. yeah. So now Myth Queen himself did the best translation I could come up with for that is the kind of lament or crying at the center. The myth being the middle, and then the queen That's being beautiful. lament. The, the lament at the centre. Yeah. And here we are with the lament at the centre of the story. Yes. And again, it's the killing of a father, mm-hmm. you know, and and then the vengeance taken by the by sons, sons of that father. So you know, there's... it's a microcosm of the entire story. Exactly. Isn't it? Exactly. And so then you have these three sons, and they're called Koira and Con and Oid. And Koira, if it is Koira. Um, would mean justice, rightness, mm-hmm. from this word Kora that we've talked about many mm-hmm. times. Kun is generally a name for a kind of a battle chieftain or a chief. Mm-hmm. And then Oid is the flame. So look at what has been killed. Mm. The flame of justice mm. and the flame of leadership. Mm. And what is left, what is dead first, yeah. is the, the, this, the cry, yeah. the three shouts, mm. are the killing of these three concepts. Yes, yeah. Which yeah. is really, if you like, this is almost like an allegory of yeah. the story. Yeah. And what is left is that lament at the centre, yeah. lament at the heart. Mm. And that even though those three sons are killed by the three sons of Turin that in doing so they receive their, their death, death wounds. wounds yeah and after the fight uh you know Jochar and Jochurva say they don't have the strength to get up and give the shouts oh and you get this one the the next mm. cinematic moment mm. when Brian mm. bleeding copiously yeah. from the spear wound which mm. has gone right through him mm. uh he he supports his brothers and he pulls them to their feet at mm. great cost to himself mm. and holds them up while yeah. they make the three shouts yeah. and it is over mm. and he asks his brothers how they are and they mm. say we're, we're dead, dead. <laughs> And I do feel that this is almost allegorical. Yes. It's almost like an allegory mm. of the uh, the, the tragedy mm. of what happens when kingship and leadership yeah. is lost. And justice, and yeah, justice. Are, are thrown away, you yeah. know, and where the... Where... And part of me thinks I'm reading too much into mm. it and mm. it's just the story. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. but it's, I do feel if there was... And there is allegory yeah. in this type of tale. Oh, yeah. Uh, as... I mean, like the allegories in Cormac. Exactly, the story yeah. of Cormac's journey to uh, the land of Malinau. Yeah, yeah. Um, I won't go into it now because mm. I hope we'll do that story. Mm. But there are, um, again, at the heart of it are the allegories. Yeah, And yeah. that's the allegory on poetry. Yeah, and, and they're kind of... The, they do kingship. act as a sort of a key to the symbolism of the story. And this one, the key to mm. this story, is mm. this moment. And, it, and I think it lies in the names of the participants. Yeah. Somehow he gets them back to the boat and they travel a long time. And one of the brothers says he sees the land of Ireland and Brian finds the strength, mm. strength to lift them up. Yeah. And 
they one of the brothers i don't know whether it's whichever it yeah, speaks poetry mm. and he says take these heads on your breasts o brian o son of turin the generous and red-armed o torch of valor without guile until we see the land of ireland hold upon thy breast and upon thy shoulder these heads o manly champion that we may see from off the water ushnock telta and tara if i saw Beneda and dun tyran in the north welcome death thenceforward and though it should be a suffering death. Brian answered, A pity is that, O children of brave Turin. Birds could fly through my two sides, but it is not my two sides that are sick, but to think of you both having fallen. We would prefer death to take us, O Brian, son of Turin, who fled not, than to see thee with wounds upon thy body, and no doctors to cure you, since there is not here to cure our wounds, mia cordienkert, Pitiful is it, O Brian, who designest not guile, to have given away from us the skin. Hmm. And the reason I included those is, you know, that beginning, well, why have that comedy piece at the yes. beginning with the healing of Nurda? Yeah. And this is why. Exactly. It's to create this incredible moment mm. of pathos, isn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. And that not only are they not in the land where they could avail of the skill of Miachan Orviach or Aravid and Dienkert, mm. but also they did have the pigskin that could now cure them, but they've given it away. Because of Lou's... Because of Lou's trick. Trick, yeah. yeah. You know, so, so it, it just compounds injustice on injustice and tragic circumstance. Yeah, and there they are, almost dream-seeing the land to bring it closer to Exactly. You were sort of talking about the idea of exile yeah. from Ireland. Yeah, there is this, uh, again, which becomes stronger as time goes on, you know, that um, to be exiled from Ireland was a, a kind of death or worse than death. Um, and some of it goes back to uh, Cullum Kill and his exile from mm -hmm. Ireland. He wasn't allowed to set his foot back on Ireland once he was kicked out. And he has this poem about the sea blue eye that looks back. On, mm -hmm. on the land mm -hmm. he'll never see again so there is you it's know, gone on from there really hasn't yeah it? yeah you know you still do get that sense it is still part of our, our cultural identity i mean there's a, there's a lot in this story that has the same feeling as irish people still think about themselves mm -hmm. and so it's almost that if they say poetry and they name the places in ireland they know it'll somehow bring the land closer and that keeps alive their hope of healing mm -hmm. you know that mm -hmm. they won't die if they can just keep ireland if they can just get there so it it, it really is not only have you got this literary structure now mm. which needed the physicians i know yeah. many several versions of translations yeah. i've seen leaves that bit off i know so just a piece of comedy yeah, and O'Duffy, uh, when he's translating this and giving his synopsis, he goes, you know, there's a novel surgical procedure. I don't know why they've included this. It's bit. irrelevant, but it isn't. If it's you not. look at it in terms of in cinematic terms, yeah. that it's establishing essential. light yes. motif at the beginning, mm. that sort of particular piece, mm. then allows you to, it's not light, I mean, light-hearted. Yes. Um, then allows you to really feel the tragedy yes. of what happens at the heart of the story. Exactly. Because now they haven't got the yeah. physicians. And what's more, yes, you're right, they haven't got the pigskin either. Mm. And you, what you've said several times is this fine, this honour mm. fine, now becomes a death sentence. Yes. Yeah. When it was not supposed to be a exactly. death sentence. Exactly. It was supposed to be instead of yeah. a killing in vengeance. But it, it's a way that it's been warped and twisted to be a really long and tortuous yeah. death, not just a single execution. And they but, haven't finished yet because yeah. the tragedy becomes even more compounded yeah. now, doesn't it? Yeah. When they land, Turin, who must be absolutely devastated, mm. takes the cooking spit to Lou and then he begs Lou for the loan of the pigskin yeah. to restore his sons. Yeah. And Lou refuses. Mm. 
And, uh, you know, Turin goes back to Brian and says, he won't give in. Mm. And Brian says, well, look, carry me to Lou and yeah. I'll ask him. And Lou replies that he would not give it. And if they, the children of Turin, were to give him the breadth of the earth of gold, he would not accept it from them unless he thought their death would come of it mm. on account of the deed that they'd done. Yeah. So there's no forgiving. Yeah. The, All the, he the wants. Eric is irrelevant. Yeah. What he actually wants is their death. And the three brothers die together mm. and Turin speaks his poetic elegy. Mm. This is a little bit of it. Distressed is my heart over you, you three fair youths who fought many fights after your activity and your feats. It were well for me that you should live. Two kings elect over Bamba, Yucca and Yokova, Brian that conquered Greece. It is a loss. It is the worst of it that their like are not alive. I am Turin without strength. Over your graves, you ardent champions, as long as ships shall live upon the sea, I will not compose lay or song. And Turin dies and they're buried in a grave together. Mm. Um, interesting there that he says they could have been kings. Yes, that Jochur and Jochur were, you know, yeah, they, they were of the status that they could have been elected as kings. And Brian who conquered Greece. He yeah. evokes Alexander, I yes. think, there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just get the feeling mm. that he's evoking... I know Alexander didn't conquer Greece as such. Yeah, yeah. When you hear that, you yeah. immediately think Alexander. Yeah, yeah. And I'm it, sure that's intentional. Mm. And then there's also, you know, th this is here, the ending of the story. It ends with a poem, and he says, this is the last I shall ever speak. And it ends, yeah, literally, at yeah. that point. So it's this real coming together of the prose, the poetry the speaker, yeah. you know, it's 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 a good ending. It is. Uh, I mean, what conclusions? I, I don't know, I was thinking of sort of just a few points mm. that, that rather than conclusions as such. I mean, mm. one, Lou needed all those things for the Battle of Moitura, but in this version, it's almost Lou fought the whole battle by himself. Yeah, exactly. The, there is, like, like I said, there's some kind of disconnect and the timeline doesn't really yeah. fit. This time he defeats Bresh, not Balor. Mm. But mind you, you see, he needed those things because he would be to fight by himself. Yeah. He wouldn't have the Well of Slania in this. Yeah, exactly. Because he doesn't seem to need the help of the Dagda. Nuada doesn't seem to be any use. You know, he does seem to be, you know, going, all right, I'll fight the whole battle myself, yeah. you know. The other thing that struck me while we were talking about it is that Brienne and his brothers are mentioned in another text. Something quite remarkable, aren't they? Well... It it's one of these mentions in a glossary. Now, I can't tell you off the top of my head which glossary it is, but you know how I feel about the glossaries. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a gloss somewhere that says that the the three gods of the Tua de Danon, the three Neidanon, um, in one glossary are named as Brian, Jochur and Jochurva. Now, that seems peculiar, but I think that where it comes from is actually a line in our 9th century text, mm -hmm. which says that, you know, in the preparations for the battle, that Lug and Dagda and Nuada, um, they go to the three gods of the Dedanon to get weapons for the battle. Now, in the context of that, I think we mentioned it there, you know, could this be a reference to the sons of Turin? But I think it works the other way around. That in the 9th century text, the three they, Danon, that they're talking about are Goivnu and Luchta and Credna Caird, mm -hmm. who are making all these wondrous weapons. So it sort weapons. of feeds each other, it's so exactly. cyclical. Yeah. Because I did wonder whether mm. the, since Turin mentions that they could have been kings, yes. I know elect kings, yeah, yeah. as though the sons of Turin could have been the rightful kings mm. until usurped by the sons of Contra. Yes, yeah. Uh, which includes, of course, Lou. 
Yes, exactly. Um, well, he's not a son, but yeah, a grandson. A, yeah. And maybe, at least, it might be distant memories of conflicting stories. Yeah, well, we've, we've drawn attention before to this kind of sense throughout the various tellings of Moitura that Lou, uh, that there's a tension between Lou and Nuada as rival kings mm. or rival leaders. What you've got here is the explosion of conflating stories. Yes, yes, you do, rather. <laughs> Where suddenly the only hero worth telling yeah. about is Lou. Which brings us, I think, to what I would say is most noticeable about mm. this story is that our shiny foreigner yes. has at last taken over. Yes. But what is worst, he's forgotten the rules that can say, what was that wonderful word we had? Court. That sense yes. of the natural rightness yeah. and justice, natural justice. Mm. The word that I you know, always said was ma, the yes. Egyptian concept. Yeah. Uh, the search for which, if you like, is the raison d'etre of the whole Moitura saga. Yeah. We talked about that exactly yeah, talk, several times, yeah. particularly in Reflections. Yeah. What it seems to me is the purpose of the symbolic telling is just change beyond recognition. Yeah, yeah. Um, no wonder he never gets around to fighting that restorative battle. Yeah, because it's, it no longer has a function. And uh, as you said, it, it where we've been so adamant previously that the story of Moitura is not a battle of good against evil... But in this tale, we can actually see it becoming that. Yeah, it's also a cyclical battle, mm, something mm. that has to be redone. Yes. And balances gained, lost, regained. Yeah. But here, this is entirely eschatological. Yes, yeah. You know, it is a story of the death mm. of a group of people. Yeah, and that, that's a tragic loss forever. Yeah. Yes. Another terrifically noticeable missing thing is mm. the Dagda. Yeah. Uh, when missing thing is the Dagda <laughs> and his earthy, earthy quality, yeah. his laws and his... Uh, truths yes and and his wonderful Wisdom. you know exploits and and sexuality mm. and and capacity yeah he's his he's, judgments yeah. is what i'm thinking exactly of. and particularly if you compare the stories of of uh alec which we've talked about before oh the death of his son yeah where dr loses his own son and all the people of ireland are crying for vengeance they want a, a killing of vengeance of the the of Kurgan who has uh, killed the Dagda's son, Oith. Mm. But the Dagda says, no, that wouldn't be right. Mm. That would not be right. Bet better for us to have a spell <clears throat> of his service than to kill him. <clears throat> and so it's it's very Mind much... You, he does die. He does in the task, but it's it's not a deliberate no, uh, no, killing. No. You know, the Dagda's... <laughs> is very specific to say that you know you can't take one life for another life mm. that's not and i get the feeling when you know he's set to carry the corpse mm. to where his burial site will be yeah and that in the end the weight of the boy becomes mm. the weight of the stone that yeah. is to be buried on top of him mm. but i always felt that there's almost the weight of his guilt exactly. built up yeah we'll it's just... certainly not like this no no this this is really the the opposite in many ways this is lou you know throwing mm. out all of those judgments and and that idea of reparation it is and now i was thinking about the dodon and, and the fovera they're mm. now quite different they are they're portrayed as clearly the invaders yeah the fovera are now definitely foreigners yeah whereas lou is full of fairy i'd almost say divine yeah. right well, it's he's... almost as though he's given that th this connection with the uh with Malanan's mm, world mm. gives him a divine right to be a, a ruler yeah. or at least a, a hero well again he's, he's being given more of these kind of 
Apollo type mm. attributes of you know his, magical right to yeah, be a leader. His face shines like the sun, and you know mm. all that kind of stuff that is yeah a, a literary portrayal. Yeah. You know, it's it's effectively putting a halo around his head. Uh, well, yes, literally. Yeah. So, what was a story about balance becomes mm. a tale about good and evil. Yes. Except my problem is I'm not sure who's good. No. <laughs> Exactly. You I mean, kind of you have this feeling that yeah, we're supposed to be going, yay, Lou, so our champion. Are we our supposed savior. to be on Lou's side? Yeah. Yes. No. Again, the text is quite ambivalent. Um, because he does portray what are considered to be traditional mm. in law Irish values. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But then, given the time of this tale, you know, this telling is kind of thirteenth, fourteenth mm. century. The integrity of the native Irish laws was already starting yeah, to be eroded. so maybe that's what we... But yeah. what about Brian? Can we yeah. be on Brian's side? Well, again, Is he the goody? Well, he's, he's just a, a liar and a murderer. Yeah, he's certainly no role model. Yeah. You could say he has little choice, mm. although he's certainly quick to slaughter it everywhere oh, yeah. he goes. Yeah, that's just that's his, his easiest response. Even if you take his classical antecedents, mm. like Heracles, yeah. Jason... Um, well, they commit less atrocity yes. than general mayhem. Yes. And they say try. Yeah, yeah. But you usually said it comes to battle in spite of them. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Despite their best efforts, it still mm. comes to battle. Whereas Brian goes, oh, I'm going to pretend to be a poet. I'm bored no, I'm of not. it. I'm going to kill everyone. <laughs> and uh, you're right. Along the way, he seems to be incapable of telling a truth. Yeah, I will do. Exactly, yeah. Or if, a, you know, he's incapable of doing things in a straightforward way, such as asking to see the chariot rather than waiting for something even more complicated uh, to happen. And I have to say, neither side show that wonderful quiet nobility mm. That mm. in the ninth century text yeah. shown by, say, Nuada, yeah. uh, who chose a fortitude and a determination that even if he can't be leader anymore, mm. he's absolutely prepared to serve. Yes. And the, the quiet nobility of Indea. Exactly. Who is a king of the Fovera? You know, where uh, when Bresh comes to him after having lost yeah, the kingship. Earlier, he, yeah. Yeah, that this is another example of Coir, you know, that if you've lost your kingship through injustice, then you can't get it by force. Yeah, and that's coming from the enemy side. Yeah, exactly. So you have this wonderful quiet nobility, mm. is the way I would think of it. Yeah. Um, and of course, in a way, Lou and Brian are just as bad as each other. They're yeah. reflections of each other. Yeah. When we were talking about um, the balances, we were talking mm. about Ruthorn, Brick's yeah. son. Oh. Yeah, that, that um, in discussing the ninth century text before, we've kind of come back to this again it's and again. It's one of my favourite characters, actually. Yeah, there's kind of a missing story and that, you know, if you've listened to previous episodes, you'll know that we have this sense that Ruthorn might be a lost twin or even triplet of Lou. Um, mm. but and he's killed by, by Gobnu. Gobnu yes. Yeah. And the tragedy, the mm. important thing here is his tragedy, mm. is when he acts as spy yeah. for the Fovera yeah. and then he finds the well mm. and they destroy the well so that he, when he's killed, yeah. he immediately after, he's killed immediately after this happens mm. and he cannot be restored exactly. by the well that he has caused to be destroyed. Yes, yeah. And so that's... In the service of his people. Yeah. So that there's an echo of that kind of tragedy and here. his mother mourns yeah yes. yeah with with brian you know that again they've provided the means for others to be healed in the battle but they're denied that mm. themselves um there's also that bit that we kind of touched on earlier where they have this sister female relative um who's ethna in this text you know, but we again could before. be another form of ethnic. Could be you another ethnic. Ennis, uh, uh, um, not Ennis, sort of Kathleen. And Kathleen, yeah, Kathleen. yeah. Um, as as perhaps another kind of 
reflects of, of uh, Lou's eth- mother. Of Lou's mother, yeah. That in in a way the ethnu here, again, she's giving away these young fish into the sea and knows she'll never see them again. Mm. And I I think you quite easily kind of paint Yukar and Yukarva as uh, twins because they're interchangeable. They never differ. They do everything together. You know, Breen is the one who speaks. Mm-hmm. You know, and his he name has, is connected with speech. With isn't words, it? yeah. From mm. what I can make out, the name does kind of it's it's connected with speech and words. Mm. So he's he's the talky one. You know, the other two kind of just follow in his footsteps. Mm. So I think you know it's. We're really speculating here, but I think there's like a reflection of that story. Well, of, you know, the stories were... are always rich and layered, mm. and image upon image, layer yeah. upon layer, all good stories yeah. are. But I suppose if we were to put this story into its historical mm. context, mm. if you compare the early text yeah. and this one, mm. it's, it comes at a different time, doesn't it? It's got yeah. it's, it's it's it reflects the atmosphere of post-Norman Ireland. Exactly, yeah. The, 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 the biggest change to have happened between the 9th century and the 14th is um, not so much the Viking raids, although they started things to change. While there are poems about, oh, you know, the wind is rough tonight, it'll bring the Viking raiders to this lonely rock. But by the time we get into the 14th century, um, Norman occupation has actually taken hold Mm. and although it's not a military invasion it is the first time that another governing force was had very much taken hold of the country and this is why i think we also get this sense of ireland as a whole island in this tale which we really don't get in the ninth century text Mm. this is the sense of you know a single cultural or political unit Mm. and that there is a foreign force Mm. you know let in by this weak king um which is what happened historically that you know the it was norman military support mm-hmm. for a local king's claim in ireland and then the normans said we like this and they stayed and married the women and then introduced primogeniture so you've got this change in the law yes almost now this poem looks back to a a, a, a law yeah. style or a, a code yes. of laws which is now which is now being eroded, being eroded and being superseded the by... treatment of poets is yeah. being eroded whereas previously there was this learned class that um, sort of united both clerical learning you know classical learning and poetic learning mm. um these are now splitting off that the the religious orders in Ireland are more under the influence of the continental orders which aren't as interested in the Irish material so this is where you're getting the origins of the sort of separate bardic schools the separate poetic schools that aren't part of these clerical institutions yeah. so you're getting that kind of splitting off of 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 traditions and of learning because there's certainly some beautiful poetry yes in, yeah and poetry that that was composed at the same time as and the prose highly cinematic yeah absolutely yeah so i think what we're, you're saying is that this this text really reflects a time of a story and a time of change How, yeah a time and of like all change. stories it, it it reflects the time it was yeah uh, told in there is this sense that you know the the old native material the story of Maitura, the coming of Lou, that that's still important somehow it that obviously it, is important. yeah Lou's importance has grown uh, exactly yeah so th- this is still a story worth telling but that it also needs a sort of external legitimization by reference to classical learning. We've talked about the ambivalence within the text, like that ambivalence toward the status of poets. You know, mm. is there this sense that some professional poets are, are turning out to be extortionists, you know, um, and this kind of mistrust of the archaic language used in, in the 
poetry and yet the poetry is still part of the tale itself. I suppose as a storyteller to sum it up I think three words it's a tragedy. It is. <laughs> <laughs> tragedy. Yeah I told you we promised you a story that would uh, mix Macbeth and Hamlet yeah. together <laughs> with the Bee Gees yeah. <laughs> Sorry I missed that bit. No never mind it's not worth it. Ruin my last line. <laughs> a story to rival Macbeth and Hamlet together. Yes. And we don't all forget that. <laughs> no, it's a great, it's still a great story. It is, yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening to Ogilaf Nanagus Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on the story archaeologists at gmail.com.